Hi, it's Kate here. Uh, and as I record this, it is New Year's Eve 2019. Um, and if you listen to the last episode uh, with Lawrence Crumpton, that was the first of a two-episode drop. The last two episodes of Fearlessly Playful before something new and exciting happens uh, next year in 2020. So pretty soon I'll be making that announcement. If you want to hear a bit more about me talking about that, you can listen to the intro of the last episode of Fearlessly Playful uh, with Lawrence, um, but I will be probably going into more detail uh, next year because I think it's really instructive and in kind of my journey of getting unstuck in what I learned about myself and work and life and being human and all those amazing things. So I won't say any more um, about that until next year, but I will say that this episode is with Julie Trell, another absolutely amazing conversation, super inspiring. Uh, Julie Trell is the, uh, she runs Muru D, which is the accelerator program, Telstra's accelerator program in Sydney. And she's also the country lead for SheEO, which is doing some amazing work um, with the future of investment and um empowering women, which is so inspiring. And this was such a great conversation, especially around, and this is a bit of a hint of where I think Fearlessly Playful, I know Fearlessly Playful is headed, um, but really getting me thinking about um, that connection between playfulness and curiosity. Um, And I just love how she sneaks playfulness into very serious environments and kind of like hiding the vegetables, um, which she talks about. So amazing conversation. Um, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I, um, enjoyed having the conversation with her. So, um, happy new year if you're listening on New Year's and, uh, on with the show. So thanks so much for agreeing to be on Fearlessly Playful. Thanks for inviting me. So, I love the title. <laughs> me, me too. I think I think it embodies both of our philosophies. Yeah, well. agreed. So obviously, like me, you're not from Australia originally. You're from the states. Yes, I'm originally from Connecticut. Uh-huh. I taught and lived and went to school in Atlanta, and then serendipitously found myself in San Francisco for 17 years. And I've been in Sydney. Uh, March will be my two-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. And so you're now running the Telstra, Telstra's Murudi Accelerator Program in Sydney. Yes. Can you tell me more about your journey and how that came about? Sure. My serendipitously flip-flopped titled journey is a, is a fun one. Um, so I, had, I was at Salesforce Foundation for 12 years, and there's actually an interesting story how I got there, but I will start with my journey here. Uh, I was working, I was doing some consulting and working with some companies, how to integrate philanthropy into their business. And I was on Facebook one afternoon, as you are, and a friend of mine in London had posted that her friend in Sydney was looking for someone to fill her flip-flops. This woman happened to be Annie Parker, who wore flip-flops everywhere to events, to corporate meetings, to speaking gigs. And I thought to myself, I like flip-flops. So I looked on this job description And it was this very heart, human-centered job description saying, looking for someone who has the gravitas to work and convince corporates, um, understands and knows and plays, she might have used the word play, in the startup ecosystem, is more concerned about the um, success of others and their own personal gain. And I said, this looks quite interesting. And I reached out to Annie, uh, who was in Sydney, and we had the conversation and we talked about what she was looking for. And I, at that moment, however, 
after I got off the call with her and I went to sleep and I said, I don't have everything that she wants in this job description. I haven't done X, Y, and Z. And I had to put that conversation out of my head because, you know, they say, you know, a man will be like, oh, I have three of those seven things you want. I can do it. And so I forced myself to, to continue having conversations. And I am now here in Sydney running MiraD, which is Telstra's startup accelerator. We focus on tech companies. And um, I am the chief human API is the title that I have. Such a good title. Very playful. It was. It is very playful. And it's quite interesting because her job description versus the one that Telstra had, I probably would not have applied. So it's really had to do something with this playful mindset and um, the way it was languaged that, that made me click on it. It also would have been a little different looking for someone to fill my thongs where I come from. It's <laughs> yes, a different very different. So, me, me too. Um, <laughs> so flip-flops work and I'm wearing flip-flops now as a matter of fact so you're you're for sure filling her flip-flops slash songs yes. <laughs> yes. Good. yeah it's I've been thinking a lot about that idea of how we do one thing is how we do everything and that idea of eating your own dog food and if you want to be playful and get playful people, then everything you do has to be playful, including yeah. your job descriptions. We like to say drinking our own champagne. Ah, I like that. That's much better. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then coming down here, so working at a company that's, you know, it's a very old school, big corporate company. Uh, and I had a chance to come down here and reinvent myself. And I found the word play and curiosity keep coming up. And I got to reinvent myself with that value in a new home. Mm, so that's a good question. Is it? What's for you the link between playfulness and curiosity? Um, I use them interchangeably. It's, uh, but I think, so I actually had play as one of our values for what we were doing here. And I felt I got, I started to get a little self-conscious about that. Is that is corporate not going to understand that as much, but what play is, is being curious. It's taking risk. It's trying new things. So I changed it to curiosity, which is maybe is a little bit more, this is just my own opinion, maybe it's a little bit more professional, uh, even though I loved seeing the word play in, in a corporate, in a business setting. Mm, so maybe it's about being playful and curious without necessarily saying that you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. There's, it's semantics and how you, how you see how the word resonates with you. Mm. But, but play is definitely part of what I've done down here where my office space is, which you were able to see, is it, we call it the playroom. Um, all my conference rooms are named after games. So this concept of play is really important when I work with the founders and I can talk a little bit more when you ask more questions. Um, games that we play, we do a lot of improv and getting them out of their comfort zone and not, not doing things like you said, like we used to, we knew oh, like how they were always been done. So that's another actually interesting question, which is um, what, tips would you have for people who are in maybe environments that could be more playful or organizations or companies from, from doing that? What's what's some tips that we should know in terms of bringing more playfulness? Well, it's kind of like sneaking the vegetables in to get to eat the vegetables when you want to eat the French fries or whatever on, on your plate. And I, what I had done, so here's an example. I was at a Telstra leadership program where they had some of the top leaders. It was a week-long program, how to be a leader, how to lead a team, how to stand up and make things happen. And we had the part of the, um, I snuck this stuff in, part of the uh, exercise was we had to read a case study and then report it back. So I said to my group, of people who had been at Telstra for years, and here's this American that comes in and says, when we have to report back on our 
on this case study that we've read. Let's do it a little differently. Let's be a, a, a human um, PowerPoint. Let's present it back where, and they all, I just snuck it in there. And I think Australians or the people that I was with were willing to do it. So what we did was we created what our slides were going to look like and we acted them out and we had the presenter say, and this slide we have here is X, Y, and Z in this business case. And then he would go click and then we would reshape into another slide and they loved it. And they got out of their comfort zone. It was a, it was a little bit of a risk. And then the rest of the people in the group were like, had fun with that. And then it started to snowball. We were doing all kinds of games and, and acting things out. And we had to do like little videos. And at one point they were doing the conga line. And what I loved is an, a, one woman comes up to me. She's like, that conga line was so you. That was so cool. And I said, actually, it wasn't. So the play that I got to bring in, which was a little bit of a risk for me, got, became viral and people started to do it and embrace it. And it was, became a safe place. Mm, play is a, a safe place. I like that idea too. So I want to go back to your journey of it. Um, you also had a, the very awesome title of vice president of all things fun, meaningful and rewarding at the Salesforce Foundation. Yes. Can you talk more about that yes. role and yeah. all things fun? <laughs> so I had met Mark Benioff um, in 1998 and he knew he wanted to leave Oracle to start this new company that was going to sell software over the web. This was before the word SaaS or cloud was really even used or invented. And at the same time, he also knew that he wanted to start a new model of philanthropy um, and bridging the digital divide and helping schools get access to technology. And I, as a technology specialist, I, I said, Mark, if you're going to deal with kids and technology, hire teachers. Don't just be a company that gives away money. And little did I know that was my interview. And he says, well, come on out from, from Atlanta to San Francisco and help start the Salesforce Foundation. So is there when there are four of us in the foundation, 115 people in the company, and we were there to help um, bridge that divide of the haves and have nots in, in, in San Francisco and in, in um, after school programs. And I, my original, my first title was, what was it? It was curriculum imagineer, technology inspirer and volunteer energizer. I always like to have fun with titles. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it's, it's when you're passing out a card, people like, it's a great conversation starter. And people saying, Ooh, I want that title. I'm like, have at it. You know, I want, it's not about levels. It's not about, you know, those stigmas and it, 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 it gets great conversations. So, um, the VP of all things fun, meaningful and rewarding myself and my team, we worked with employees, um, in volunteer activities that were connected to nonprofits that were using Salesforce and got them out of the office and working with the community and allowing them to bring their whole self to work. Cause a lot of employees would bring like already working with, um, organizations that, that were making a difference in the world and my team got to support them. So it was volunteer of all things, fun, meaningful and rewarding. And Oh, the, uh, how else I came up on that at the beginning, it was such a, you know, everyone go out and volunteer. Have you done your volunteer hours? Cause everyone had six paid days and they would see me in the hallway and they would almost cowl backwards. Like, Oh no, I've, I haven't volunteered yet. And I said, you know what? I'm not the director of guilt. <laughs> <laughs> not, a not, a, not a fun title. Not a fun title. But then when I would get out, you know, having so much work and all the stuff going on and, you know, I hate the word busy, but I was very busy when I would go out and, and lead some of these events. It was, it was really like, oh, I love doing this. I am, I do get to do all this fun things. So, and it was very meaningful. It wasn't just to do it, just to volunteer and check, check a box. And so I got to create a title around what I did. 
it's maybe that title having playful titles is another way of kind of sneaking in the vegetables or the french fries i'm not sure if the vegetables or the french fries there (laughs) right right and and also when i'm you know leading in this organization i'm like have fun with your title make it up what is it that you do um they people have repurposed the the all things fun meaningful and rewarding uh, I have someone like the glue. I had a story head of storytelling. You know, I let people have fun with it because it's a fun. Oh, I have, I have magic wand. Yes. I love the magic wand. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should have a magic wand. And, uh, so those were, I had a, you know, an, a, a, a PA and instead of saying, you know, Julie's assistant or PA, they came up with, they were, it was a job shared role and they were the magic wand and it was people the responses that I would get on emails, like, Ooh, I want a magic wand. Is that a real person? Is it AI? And they were real. That was one of it. But also my, um, Jody and Tara that who had that title, they loved it too. So it was fun for them. Mm, yeah, it does. It makes it, it makes it joyful for everybody. It makes it. Yeah. fun. Yeah. It, <laughs> it makes that. it fun. And it makes it, it's, it's, it is a game. It is play. And people start to, and actually I had friends who started calling their PAs magic wands, which is, is also really great to see. Mm, you know that it's working when that starts yeah. to happen. Yeah. So then after Salesforce Foundation, you founded Playful Purpose. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit more about what you were doing there? Yeah. So after, after Salesforce, I actually did a stint at another corporate. I was at Workday, the Workday Foundation doing similar work. So Playful Purpose was um, while I was on my own doing consulting, working with companies, how to integrate philanthropy or uh, social impact into their business. And I, we would do a lot of um, design thinking, a lot of the tools that I, I learned and I took from a program called Think, T-H-N-K, which is an executive creative leadership program, which was amazing. Uh, I, I, we did a lot of play and think also. We did improv, we did design thinking, we did meditation. So taking a lot of those and being able to myself bring it into a corporate place because it was a little safer than because I was I was still an outsider but getting to infuse it into the company and so you mentioned um you kind of started touching on this how you got the gig at Amurudi on Facebook but how Mm -hmm. have some of the ways that you've gotten or had had jobs that were or show, show up. them in getting them in a non-traditional way, you know, not sending a thousand resumes as we all tend to think we have to do. Yeah, I never have done, been successful in that ever. It is running my mouth to the right people at the right time, not knowing that it's the right time nor that they're the right people. And just when I, my first conversation with Mark Benioff, I had no idea who he was. He was a senior executive at Oracle. Um, but I, I just believed in what I was doing, having loved my job working with teachers and technology and integrating it into the classroom. I just said, you know, this is, this is what I do. And I, I showed up as myself. And having to, the thought of having to send out resumes or to going through those job interviews was never really something that I did well or enjoyed. I have, um, a, an upcoming podcast, future podcast guest. One of his stories is that he sent out 200 resumes and nothing happened. I think he got one interview and no jobs and then completely changed his approach. He's a game designer as well, but yeah, same kind yeah. of thing around being, I think it's actually being playful about it and being really yeah. passionate because that's contagious for people. Yeah. How do you stand out? How do you make it fun? How do you take things not so seriously? I think that was another. So if the, I don't know if that's the other side of play, 
Um, the opposite of the opposite of play is the opposite of work is not. Well, I'm trying to remember what my improv teacher says. The opposite of play is not work. It's something else. Well, I'll, to, I'll come back to you on Bore, that. You boredom. Can, <laughs> boredom. Yeah, you can cut cut that out. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right about making it fun. How do you stand out? How do you, how are you untraditional? And you also want, those are the companies that you want to work for. If someone is going through this very old traditional um, things, doing things the same way always, do you really want to work there? I mean, maybe you do, but finding companies that are willing to step outside or around the lines. Yeah, or be open to being more playful. Yeah, and I also love, um, this is something that Salesforce was held space for, and I do too, is like create your own job if you're in a company and you see something that needs something filled or there's a gap and you have it and you have a vision and you want to grow, design it yourself. And it never hurts to ask. That's the other thing that I've learned recently. It never hurts to ask. And that's and a, game, people, a game you can play is the asking game. It's the asking game. Absolutely. And I've learned to play it on the other side. So I know when people ask me crazy, big, ridiculous things, I will, I will say, thank you for asking. I appreciate you asking. And then have space to say no, <laughs> but I give them credit for asking. Yeah, I like that. Or half the time they make me think like, huh, I never thought about that way. So mm-hmm. when you do that big ask, sometimes people will step out of their comfort zone and, and have a new game strategy if something's brought to them. Mm, one of the games I like to play with myself is if I can have the opportunity to do something that scares me, that's not going to actually put me in physical danger, like asking for yeah. something crazy. Um, if I have that opportunity in a day, then I have to do it. (laughs) When's the last thing that you've done? Now I'm going to turn the tables on you. (laughs) (laughs) The last one, um, was I, well, it turned into a larger one, which was that I, um, I've talked about this on this podcast before. Um, so for, forgive me for repeating it, but it's, um, uh, it was talking to five strangers um, yeah. having meaningful non-transactional conversations with strangers. And, um, that was terrifying and it was actually really, really fun. And my first podcast guest, um, the disco bunny, Pablo Woodward. I listened to yes, it. And that, that, that came from great. that. Yeah. That's great. So that came it. from that. So I have one tomorrow. I am supposed to be on TV with a woman who was, uh, she's an anchor. She was a, a moderator at a, a, a Vogue Codes panel I was on. And I've been trying to get Vicki Saunders, who launched this big, you know, who launched this fund. I wanted to get her on it and do a remote from Canada. And she came back to me and she said, you know what? They want someone local. Will you do it? And I had to say, yes, I'm, like, I'm committed <laughs> to this initiative. And then, so here's my ask with her, the asking game. Um, so do I get a uh, hair and makeup in my own green room? Like a kind of joking. Yeah. And her, her response was, yeah, you do in your dreams. <laughs> but it was, it was just like, I had to ask if I didn't yeah. ask. Yeah. yeah. It's surprising so, uh, what you get, what you get when you ask. Totally. I was actually at a, um, a show last night with Lucy Peach, who's this amazing um, kind of renegade educator on the power of periods. And, um, I actually, so she's a friend of mine. So she invited me to come to see her opening night and there were two seats that said reserved. And I was with my friend and we're like, do we get to sit there? And then we asked, Can we, do we get to sit there? And they said, well, are you friends of Lucy? And we said, yes. So we got to sit in really nice seats and it was awesome. But it was like, yeah, if we had asked, we wouldn't have got to sit there. Exactly. Exactly. I was trying to get money to launch CEO in Australia. And because of the CEO, this, the network that I'm in, they te- because people want to help. Most of the times people want to give. 
And if there's nobody asking, you're, you're depriving them of their give of what they want to do. So mm-hmm. that you think of it that way. It's a gift to someone else to want to help. And that's a gift for me to ask the next question around. Okay. Um, you're the Australia country lead for a CEO. So what is yeah. CEO? The CEO is a fund for female entrepreneurs uh, started by a woman, Vicki Saunders, serial entrepreneur in Canada. She saw that uh, the world is broken, systems are broken, and in the way capital flows, how can we get capital specifically to female entrepreneurs in a different way? And the model is to get 500 women to contribute $1,100. So there's a half a million dollar fund that gets loaned out to female entrepreneurs, selected by the women that have contributed. The women that have contributed $1,100, they're not donors, they're not investors. So again, it's a language play. They're activators because they're activating their capital, their buying power, and their network. And they're the ones that are making the selections on where this money should go. And keep in mind, it's a zero interest five-year loan. So the money's going back into a fund and then we'll get loaned out to a perpetual fund. So where that change is, the capital is flowing in this perpetual fund to help uh, entrepreneurs, to help businesses get, get what they need and move on and pay it, pay it back, pay it forward, however you want to use that phrase. And what's amazing about it is it's not just for ventures that you're going to be giving this investment to. The women that have contributed get a lot out of this as well. They get a network of 3,000 women around the globe. They get to dip their toe in what it feels like to be an investor. I call it a gateway gateway drug to investing. Um, They might find new jobs they might find that they can be an advisor and provide their skill set to any of the ventures that have raised their hand that, that need help. And the other thing that's really awesome about it, it's so grassroots. I'm not a paid employee of CEO. Uh, there's a team up in Toronto, but it's the crazy people in the different countries that say, I want to bring this initiative here. So it's a global, um, the goal is to get in, you know, by in 15 years or 10 years to have a billion dollar fund that keeps getting per- loaned out perpetually to 10,000 uh, businesses around the globe by um, 10 million people, 10 million, well, million women. Wow. And so that's now in, so it's Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the U.S.? Yes. And so if people want to put up their hand in other countries, then they can potentially yeah, it's, you be uh, the country lead? You can be the country lead if you have, you know, that you have momentum, you have amazing women around you that have raised their hands to, to support this and which I've seen in, in, in Australia, which has been great that they want to make this new, this new way, this new model of this new economic model to get funding to female entrepreneurs. And what's also interesting, a lot of these entrepreneurs, there is some sort of a social uh, mission in there. One of the companies, for instance, in the first cohort in Canada was an empathy toy. So talk about games and play. This was teaching empathy through toys. And I I love it. I use it with my founders. I use it with my team. Telstra has used it within here, but it's really a a tactical and practical way of, of showing what empathy looks like or not. You know, how do you pick up empathy? I think that's kind of one of the, the ways that games and well, I guess virtual reality games, especially, are described as being that empathy machine. Yes. Because it allows you to have that. It's not just talk. You can watch someone talk about something and do a PowerPoint or you can actually do it. And it's profoundly yeah. different. There's actually a, a, one of the, here. I think it's virtual equality, vir, vir, virtual equality, where you are, you do put on the glasses of someone who is, might be in a wheelchair and what perception is like for them and how people are talking down or up or around you in this kind of persona. 
So yeah, it's definitely a game. Mm. And so how did you get involved in GEO? Uh, serendipity again. I had met Vicky and uh, I was actually talking to her about another adventure idea that I had uh, that dealt with kids and play and the growth mindset. And I could, it was called, what I wanted to do was get kids to help adults with their corporate work rather than adults helping kids with their home, with their homework and bringing in this whole growth mindset idea and the switch, like the McKinsey of kids and design thinking for adults. That's so, so talking cool. about this, <laughs> it's called Kids Sultans. I have the URL. I'm working on that as a nice. side Nice. You have to. If, that's if your listeners, so good. <laughs> if your listeners are out there, I, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to have help. Happy to have the serendipitous conversation. There you and go. Then, putting it out there. Putting it out there. See, that's what I do. And then Vicky said that she was launching CEO in Denver and LA. And this is when I was living in San Francisco. And I'm thinking, why aren't you doing it in San Francisco? This is where it should be. And the next minute, I, my hand was raised to help launch it there. And I just loved the power of the network, the people that got it, that were excited about it, um, being able to see new companies and supporting them and people bringing their own strengths and learning and finding places of where to grow. And that's, I, it was just really another serendipitous re- meeting the right people at the right time. And then who would have thought that that would expand to being the Australia country lead as well, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, again, it was another <laughs> ask. I'm like, I need yeah. this amount of money to launch it here. And it showed up. There you go. And that was just launched in uh, January of this year, right? 2019. No, 2018. It, we oh, launched okay. it in July. Oh, and perfect. so we're looking for anyone who's interested in becoming an activator. We still have um, room to bring you in and you can vote for the finalists, depending on when this podcast is um, published. You can vote on the finalists. If you go to sheeo.world, you can see all the companies on there. Nice. And so you've kind of hinted about this too, about the... Um, role of improv so I think improv yes. isn't as big in like I'm from Toronto too like Vicky where improv is huge and yeah. uh, I think we're not as excited about it in Australia um but yeah can you talk more about how you've used improv and kind of your daily work and life to be yeah. even more it's badass not, yeah it, you know what it's another one you gotta sneak it the hide the vegetables like don't call it improv and when I work with my startups where a lot of the programs we call it um thinking on your feet or being prepared for the unexpected um, those are two terms. I got a shout out to Improv HQ, which are two amazing women, uh, Betsy Kraut and, and Zoe Galvez in San Francisco that work with companies and using improv in everyday life. So it's it's learning how to um, think on your feet as a founder. You gotta you might be in an elevator with you know Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. How how are you going to tell your story in thirty seconds? Or they ask you a question and being able to to pivot. And be prepared to to tell your story whenever you need to. And uh, so the principles of improv, I've taken a couple of improv classes. It's therapy. It's honestly therapy. It saves a lot of money in going to therapy or needing to buy all those, you know, drugs for depression or anxiety. (laughs) Um, I am not a performer. I have no desire to be on stage, but I love watching the, the talented ones. But games that will get you out of your head and in the moment and working with something, someone. So, you know, obviously some of the principles of improv saying yes and, you know, accepting, being open, agreeing to what's been thrown to you and being able to pivot. So I think about if, if, I, if you're starting a scene and you're about to do the first sentence in the scene that you're on a beach drinking a margarita and all of a sudden your partner who's on stage starts with, isn't it cold up here on the mountain? You have to go to his or her scene. You have to go there. 
and being able to be that fluid and applying those in, in business, like maybe your teammate, maybe someone has, you don't want to block things by saying, no, we're on the beach. We can't do that. So some of the principles of improv I have applied to everyday life or work. And then some of the other things of what we've done with our founders, we do a lot of role playing. We have, there's founder breakup or there's one founder not pulling their weight or not showing up. And we will sit and do role playing where the founders would play each other to practice what kind of conversations they need to have in a very safe space. Yeah, it's, I, I found that improv has, creates that, has created that safe space for me as well because I came across it when I was trying to get better at um, public speaking. Yep. When I got asked to speak at this massive conference, it was kind of like going from level one to level 10 with <laughs> no in between. And the advice I got from a good friend in Toronto was do improv classes. And it's, in addition to all of those amazing things you mentioned around, um, you know, kind of like having to think on your feet, it also gets you to fail massively and so embarrassingly in a safe yeah. space so that it doesn't feel like it's actually because you're all kind of being ridiculous yep and it, you realize actually it's, I'm still alive I'm not dead and then you realize you can you know you've done it in this kind of safe environment you can then go and do it yeah in the real world and you've done it you've had that experience and you were fine right. yeah and in the classes invariably there's like this tech person that says I'm a control freak and I need this is why I'm here and I love those people that are so self-aware that they need it. It's not to be funny. It's not to, you know, it's to get out of, out of their space. But you talk about failure. Um, I just recently did another talk where literally I got everyone up in the audience to stand up and say, I failed. And then we played a game and we laughed and it brought the room up, the energy in the room up and people were laughing and giggling um, and talking about changing of mindsets. So what if we did fall? What if we did fail? What if something didn't go right, wrong? Sorry, what if something doesn't go right? We've all been there. And what happens when things, when you trip or when things just don't go as planned, you curl up, you beat yourself up, you, you, you make yourself physically smaller. That's not really healthy. Mm -hmm. Imagine, imagine if you made a mistake and instead you just throw your hands up really wide and you open yourself up like you're celebrating and you're cheering. Totally different mindset, totally changed. It changes everything. And I did that little activity before our talk. So it made me less nervous to, to go on because everyone's in the room. And if I screwed up, I just go, ta-da, and everyone would laugh. So mm -hmm. I kind of hedged, hedged my bets of, <laughs> of this talk so I could, you know, if I failed, I actually succeeded. Or everyone had a great bar game to, to do the later yeah. in the evening. But I think failure, being, being okay and failure that now has become a buzz, bad word, good word, what have you. But being okay <laughs> with those things when things don't go right how to turn it into a game and be okay and move on and, and change your mindset on how you accept some, when things don't go right. Yeah. And I think for me, that idea of it's only really failure if you don't learn something from it. So if you keep doing the same thing, I think that's also the definition of insanity, insanity doing the same yeah. thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also, that's the other thing that I'm now my big buzzword or that I'm excited about or the term, you know, there's, there's IQ you have EQ, but now there's AQ, which is adaptability quotient. How oh, nice. do you adapt? How do you learn to change when things don't go right? And I think given, you know, all the future of work and supposedly robots taking our jobs and, and blah, 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 how can we be adaptable to this new future of work, this new industrial, fourth industrial revolution? And I think improv and game playing, you know, you learn the strategy. Think about, you know, when you're learning checkers or strategies in chess, are those really... Um, 
in, intellectual games, if you will, you know, understanding how to adapt to your, to your opponent and be one, one, two, three steps ahead. Yeah, and I love that connection between playfulness and games in the future of work because I find I've been doing a lot of work teaching people how to be game designers and people think that means coding, but actually mm. game design is a completely separate skill. You, you know, we think board games don't have any coding, but I've been finding that there's all these transferable skills in teaching game design around problem solving and persistence and teamwork and communication that are also really important for the for the future of work and all yeah. of these you know, kind of soft skills. And it's just amazing how, how giving, I guess, games can be in every way that playing them and making them. And yeah. Sign me up for a class. I want to take a class. <laughs> I'm working, I'm working on it. All right. <laughs> I have, I have one now for, um, for team building using game mm-hmm. design and I'm going to be launching one for innovation soon. So okay, stay tuned. Um, I'm here. <laughs> cool. Um, now, you also mentioned earlier the voice that you have in your yeah. head, and you've named her Beatrice. <laughs> yes. Tell me about Beatrice. Yeah. So we all have that, you know, the voice of, what do you think you're doing? You can't do that. Who do you think you are? And uh, so sometimes she's, you know, the, the term of God, she checks. She's a checker. But sometimes she gets really loud, and you have to tell her to shut up. And I named her. So when you name things, it makes things a little bit more tangible. And I can say, you know, stop talking. My friends even know her. And they're like, well, you just send Beatrice to the beach. Would you let, <laughs> you know, would you talk to yourself that way or, or something like that? And so um, she's getting a lot of play and a lot of, lot of visibility when I talk about her on stage. So hopefully that'll calm her down. But she, she's not going to go away. She's with me forever. Um, but I had a friend tell her, tell me once, you know, let her sit at the end of the table. She's going to make her noises. She's going to whimper, but you're stronger than she is. And, um, so just being able to, to name that, uh, has been helpful. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think a great way of dealing with the, the is uh, gamifying how to deal with the imposter, with yeah. the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. Everybody has. And so I'm surprised the people that I meet who, um, I know a huge, huge admiration for and getting to talking to them and you find out that people who are doing amazing things that you're that like, are your hero have that. And you're just, yeah, it's, it's crazy that like, no matter how far in life we get, we still have that. Totally. So it's, yeah. If you can name it, then maybe we can manage it a bit better. Yeah. You can have fun with it and then know that she's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything else that you want to mention around games and play that we haven't talked about? Um, no, I just, you know, love talking about it and it's, it's, it's easy. I just, again, I like the improv to me has been therapeutic and helping me let go and relax and listen. That's another big principle of improv is listening and responding mm. and not trying to think about what's the next thing I'm going to say, where if you listen to someone, what they have to say, what they're doing, that will help be, you know, you can respond to that. Hmm. So kind of being, being in the moment rather than being, being in the, the moment. Future. Again, another, another principle of improv is make statements in the now, be present. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that, that's really help and helpful in, in operating and living in, in the world and, and, you know, having empathy for other people and yeah. So what, what's next that you're working on? What's in the future for you? What are you excited um, about that's coming yeah. up? Yeah, well, my next cohort, Mira D, is starting um, in Sydney and in Perth. They will be starting soon as well. We're going to be working closely with them, working with a new team, 
um, letting, holding space. So my, my role, I tell everyone is, you know, I'm human API and I get rid of blockers so everyone else can do their work and be successful. And that's really helpful and rewarding for me. Uh, I also like to be behind the scenes, the producer. So this is my uncomfortable zone sometimes <laughs> where you put me. And um, I do, I would love to, to see and test the, test the waters on this, my consultants ideas, make the McKinsey of consulting with you know, teenagers. Yeah, I've, I've, I did a project. I've actually done a few projects with kids and they're amazing game designers. They come up with stuff that adults just, we've, we've kind of, we maybe need to rediscover it, but um, yeah. come up with, with things like we, I had a game that I worked on with eight to 12 year olds and they had characters in the game that they'd made up where one of them was um, a, a, a kind of nation of what were called the milk zombies who were zombies that loved milk and everything. And they, their, their, um, their town ran on milk and they had pigs for feet for some reason, which is just, Brilliant. yeah. Adults just it's, wouldn't come up with that. It's so good. Yeah, It's because that's the whole, the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I, I like to, you know, when you step into that, that's playing games and the, you know, thinking of things that you wouldn't normally think of and, and holding judgment. That's a big one. Mm, which is, it gets in the way of being creative, which I think is another really important thing. Yeah. Being that's creative. what Beatrice does. That's what Beatrice likes to do. Ah, uh, so she's the, the, <laughs> the, the, um, the enemy of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm using her to be creative and giving her a name and a persona. So. Very good. Does she, what, what's behind the name? I don't know. I, I, I don't know where it came. Someone, I, I really, I, I need to come up with a story. <laughs> maybe ask Beatrice and see what she says yeah. <laughs> well thanks so much Julie that was a great well, chat thank you yeah and I'm ready for one of your um, workshops sounds good